Are you ready to start being visible? Well, you have come to the right place. Welcome to the Start Being Visible podcast. My name is Mildred Talabi. I've spent most of my working life mastering the art of personal branding in my career as a former journalist and communications professional and in my business, which has taken on various forms over the years. I now spend my time championing and coaching women to increase their influence, income and impact through being visible on platforms like LinkedIn and beyond. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you my insights into the journey to be invisible, as well as bringing you amazing, candid conversations with female leaders who have chosen to step out of the shadows and into the limelight in their work lives. Now, I want you to hit the subscribe button and get ready to start your own journey to be invisible with today's episode. to another exciting episode of the Start Being Visible podcast. Now, on today's show, I have an amazing guest where we're going to talk all about the business that she has built. We're going to talk about how she almost completely destroyed that business in her own words and how she recovered from that. But first of all, let me give you a little bit of a background as to who this awesome lady is that I'm in conversation with today. Her name is Joy Foster. She is the founder and CEO of Tech Pixies, which is a multi-award winning CPD certified social media training company that has helped over 13,000 women across the UK to upskill in the area of social media so that they can return to work, change their careers, or even start a business for the sole goal of becoming financially independent. Now, since launching Tech Pixies in 2015, Joy has been recognized nationally for her work and her contribution to advancing women in tech. Outside of business, Joy is a keen sports person herself. She's a marathon runner, a former member of the US archery team, a mother of two, a wife to Tim Foster MBE, who is an Olympic gold medal winner in men's rowing. And she is also a coach at her local youth football and youth rowing team. Now, that is a lot of amazing things that this lady does. So help me welcome Joy to the show. Joy, good to have you with us in this episode. Oh, it's really good to be here, Mildred. Thank you for inviting me on the show. And I, you know, when I heard you were doing a show, I wanted to be on this podcast because I know the amazing people you're reaching and the impact you're having. So thank you for inviting me to be a guest. Absolutely. And you are absolutely reaching amazing people and having great impact yourself. So that bio that we I've just read out is quite an awesome bio and there's already a lot there, you know, that we're going to talk about in the course of this conversation. But I want to ask you what might seem like a, a strange question, but what else is there to know about you that's not in your official professional bio that people might be surprised to learn about you? Well, my community is not surprised and probably anyone who spent any time with me wouldn't be surprised, but um, I'm, I'm, on, I'm in route to getting a professional diagnosis of ADD and it's something I didn't really re- realize or recognize that I was living with. And then obviously menopause or perimenopause has exacerbated it. And so that's something that not a lot of people know about me. And it's also one of the reasons that I think the company almost failed is that I obviously must have masked it quite well and people weren't aware of it. Um, 
as neither was I. So, you know, this is something that um, is really coming to the forefront now. And, and actually it only came to the forefront when I started really pushing myself to be the best version of myself um, and really started leaning into bigger dreams. And that's when this, this stuff sort of started coming out uh, because I, I wasn't, I wasn't thriving in the way that I should have been thriving. And um, it led me down on all of these mindset trainings and um, advanced life coaching, uh, neuro coaching techniques. And the more I kind of like, some people say like, peel the layer of the onion. For me, it was more like getting to the heart of the artichoke. The closer I got to the heart of it, the more I recognized that there, there probably was a neurodiversity uh, trait in my in my family. Well, I sort of knew that anyway, but it really came to the forefront when my biological mom um, was diagnosed with blood cancer, and I spent some time with my biological family, and I found out a lot more about my family. So I think um, that's something that not a lot of people know about me is that uh, that I am very probably about a hundred percent ADD, and now I'm and working towards that, and I can talk about. Um, that what that journey was like for me and how that changed things because that was a big part of my story. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I do want I do want you to talk about it. because you started there. I want to go there now. You know, I mean, because that's a that's the kind of thing that a, a lot of people actually more and more the diagnosis is is changing as things advance. But it's kind of something that, as you said, you find out as a full grown adult. I mean, what was the first emotion that you felt when you discovered that? Well, the funny thing is, in 2019, I'd flown out to America to go to a conference that Amy Porterfield was running, and it was an entrepreneur's experience. And she had a lot of really famous people there uh, in the entrepreneurial world, Stu McLaren, Rachel Hollis, and it was a really inspirational event for me. And I, because I'd, I'd flown from the UK, and I was like one of the only people from the UK that had made the, the trip out there. I didn't know anybody. And I was standing in line to get coffee, and the guy behind me said, oh, hey, let me buy you your coffee. And and then you can pay it forward to someone else next time. And we ended up becoming um, quite you know, friendly on the trip and just hanging out with each other and being buddies with each other. And he invited me to lunch and he specialized in autism. And I had an employee, I still do. He's been with me for five years officially as an employee, but been with me for about 10 years from an intern up to now a uh, young adult. And he, I, I wanted to know more about autism because he's got Asperger's and I wanted to know how to support him better. And uh, we ended up going out to lunch with one of his friends who was an ADD, ADHD specialist. And in the car on the way to lunch, she looked at me and she said, has anyone ever diagnosed you? And I was like, diagnosed me with what? <laughs> and she goes, ADD, ADHD. And I was like, uh, no, uh, no. And that was the end of it. I sort of left it at that. And she said, I really think you ought to get diagnosed. And it just seemed a bit inconceivable because I had really good grades, although I never, ever, ever did well on tests, which probably would have been, should have been a good sign. Um, but I, I did well in school. I, I worked really hard. And I think that's the other thing that I'm recognizing now is that um, women in particular, they can mask it because they do work so hard. People don't know what's going on. So I worked really hard in school I and um, and I, I went to really good schools um, and I got good grades. So it was it was sort of confusing as to why I was, um, you know, why to me and to my family, why anything would be wrong. I think, you know, in reality, the 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 I started working with a lot of neurodiverse women uh, at Tech Pixies. We are a social enterprise. So we have um, about 40 percent of the women who go through our program are from uh, BAME, LGBTQ plus 
lower socioeconomic backgrounds and over the age of 60. And uh, in, in that demographic, um, partic- particularly women who are struggling financially, you find a lot of neurodiversity. And it's not usually them, it's their children that are neurodiverse, and then they recognize that they're neurodiverse as well. So one of the things I've learned, because now I'm a brain health specialist, is that uh, ADD, ADHD, it's a neurological disorder. And it's mostly passed down genetically. Now, there will be other things that will trigger it, so such as trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, um, menopause. Uh, there's things that can trigger it. So even if it was sort of dormant in, the, in your genetics, there'll be things that will bring it out. My mom, when I was four years old, my biological mom, when I was four years old, she skied into a tree and she had a brain injury. Mm-hmm. And off the back of that brain injury, a lot of her... Um, uh, challenges uh, from from being diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia and everything else was blamed on the 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 um, blamed on the brain injury. Um, but what what we know now about ADD and ADHD is that if you have um, a grandparent that is an alcoholic, um, that can uh, pass down um, and have a big effect genetically. So when I looked at my sister, and I love my sister very much, but when I looked at my sister, she had a lot of challenges more challenges than I had. And we could never really quite figure it out. So really at the end of the day, the thing for me was I was doing all of this work on the brain because I realized that in order for women, and you'll know this too, to get visible online, they have to overcome all of these fears, you know, and and the fear shows up as um, procrastination. It shows up as, um, you know, perfectionism. It shows up as compare and despair. It shows up as imposter syndrome. So I had to find a way to help women overcome their fear of getting online. I never had a huge fear of it because I'd been online for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never had a problem with it. But when I started working with people and they were afraid of it, I had to help them overcome their fears. And then I realized I had fears. Um, you know, I wanted to grow a million dollar business or a million pound business. There were lots of fears that showed up there. You know, am I good enough? Can I do it? Um, I didn't want to spend the money I needed to spend to do it, all that stuff. So that that set me on a path of how do I overcome these subconscious fears, uh, which we call squashing the ants, squashing the automatic negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Once I'd been doing that for a while, I then um, came across a, a guy named Dr. Daniel Amen, and he does brain scans. He's got the largest, uh, and you'll, I mean, I know you care massively about the brain. He's got the largest um, collection of brain scans in the world, over 200,000 brain scans. And they started um, being able to identify um, ADD, ADHD in the brain scans. And he has a series on YouTube called Scan My Brain with a lot of very famous people um, who have let him scan his brain. Mel Robbins, um, uh, again, Rachel Hollis, someone else who he scanned her her brain, Um, Alex Hermosi, a lot of people in the online world. Anyway, I started watching the videos and I was like, oh my goodness, they are talking about what I'm talking about. They're highly successful and yet they have lots of challenges. And then this is what their brain looks like. And so someone with ADD, ADHD has a um, has low blood flow, low blood flow to the prefrontal cortex. And uh, things that cause low blood flow to the prefrontal cortex are um, things like alcohol or cam- uh, caffeine or um, so coffee, wine, really, really bad if you're ADD, ADHD, because it just slows your brain down even more. So there's a part of your brain that's just not working right. And it's the concentration part. Um, so I can have hyper focus on something I'm really, really interested in. But if it's a routine, mundane, normal task, like washing the dishes, putting clothes away, um, remember, it, you know, getting to the airport on time, mm-hmm. I forget it. It's impossible for me. So those are those are the things that really made made 
the biz- running the business hard and the fact that no one identified it early on was challenging. Wow. Wow. That is, whoa. So how recent was this diagnosis for you? Uh, so I'm, I still have to do an official brain scan and I still have to get an official diagnosis, but the sort of recognition and realization of it has probably come in the last six months. Okay. Uh, and really I did a, I did a, there's an online ADD test that you can take from the, uh, Amen clinics, which I did. Um, and it recognized me as having classic type one ADD. And then I had a type two brain. He has a brain health assessment as well. So I did the, the brain health assessment. So I have a type two brain and type one ADD. And so I started taking, um, in addition to getting sleep, going outside every day and getting fresh air and going for a walk and, you know, doing my exercise, uh, you know, and also eating well um, and also squashing the ants. You got to do those four things. I also started doing some um, natural supplements to help me to focus more. Uh, and that's been incredible. We had 52 months of losses at TechPixies, 52 mm. months of losses. Um, and I've just had my fifth um, straight month of profit. And we've been 12 months in total in profit. Um, and I really think that the you can pinpoint when we started going the right direction to when I started taking the supplements because my brain just felt totally different. I functioned totally differently. My husband said to me last night, who is this woman who's sitting at dinner with us tonight? Because not only had I made the lunch and prepped it for our trip that we're going away on, but I had pre-made the dinner and it was ready to go and everyone was Mm -hmm. sitting down. No one in my family's ever seen me do that ever. So it's having a massive impact on my just a basic ability to function. And Mm -hmm. it's really wonderful for me in that sense, because now things are going the right direction. And I didn't realize how important brain health was for that. But you know that. <laughs> you know I, how important I, do, I do. I do. Having overcome my own brain challenges of a brain tumor, I definitely do know how important brain health is. Oh, wow. That is that is so interesting. I see. I would, I would not have known that had I not asked that question. So I'm so glad that you shared that with us. You know, so I want to take you back, though, to the beginning, because I do want to talk about the business tech pixies and how you came up with that and all of that. But I want to talk about Little Join, you know, you growing up, um, what that was like, because you've mentioned a few times now, my biological parents, were you adopted? I I wasn't officially adopted, but I was raised by my bonus mom, my mom, I call her my mom. Um, She raised me, she is, she is effectively my mom. She in, in, you know, every sense of the word, apart from having not given birth to me, um, but she, uh, she came into my life when I was about six, I want to say, um, and she married, she and my dad got married, um, and she raised me. And so I had, I had, uh, you know, a very, um, conventional kind of family of four with a dog. Uh, we lived in Colorado. Um, and then I had a very you know, complicated, messy, uh, side, which was, you know, my biological mom who'd had this brain injury. And I always felt like I was bridging the two worlds. Um, between, uh, you know, the, a very stable, normal, um, home and, uh, you know, this, this, this other complicated part, but it was, um, you know, when I was younger, I remember wishing that I didn't have to bridge the gap between the two, that I could just have one sort of family and not have to have, you know, divorce and brain injuries and, you know, all those things. But I think, you know, every, the, one of my mentors says the content of your life is the curriculum, you know, and actually I think one of the things that's been massive for me is I don't know that I would care this much about the brain if I didn't have a parent that had so many challenges. So, you know, for me, 
I had an interesting life. I had a really beautiful, wonderful life. Um, my, my, we were, I was watching a movie with my son the other day, um, the movie Everest, uh, which a friend of mine from high school produced or was involved in producing. And, um, there was a t-shirt on one of the actors that said Dole Kemp. And I, I had him pause the video and I said, um, I said, that's so crazy. I haven't seen a shirt like that in a long time since 1996. So, you know, nearly 30 years. And I said, um, I said, I said, do you know who that is? And my son, he's 12. He said, no. And I said, well, you know, my, my godfather, I mean, he wasn't officially my godfather, but he, he I called him uncle Jack was Jack mm -hmm. Kemp. And he ran as vice president of the United States. Um, and my dad's other best friend was a guy named Bill McCartney who led the million man March on Washington, DC. Um, and so, uh, it was a million man March for, you know, men being better, better men, better fathers, better husbands. Um, and, I got, it was globally, you know, broadcast around the world. So I grew up with um, some incredible people in my life, um, people who were running for vice president of the United States, people who were, you know, uh, head of head coach, football coach of the number one uh, football team, college football team in, in America. And of course, I had really wonderful parents as well. So um, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was an interesting life. I got to do lots of really interesting things. Um, I lived in France for a year as an exchange student when I was 15. I was a Rotary exchange student and, uh, and I didn't speak French at all. Uh, <laughs> I met a cute guy from Sweden on the bus and he said that he was an exchange student. I thought, oh, that sounds like a fun thing to do. And when I was 13, I applied to become one, didn't tell my parents. And then I got into the program and I was like, oh, by the way, uh, I've got into this program and you have to interview for tomorrow. And my dad about had a heart attack and my mom was like, no, 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 you can do this. You can do this. Let's do this. She talked my dad into it. And I'm really glad she did because she really supported me in going to France for a year when I was only 15. And then when I came back, I ended up at a boarding school on the East Coast. So I went to Phillips Exeter Academy uh, just for one year as a senior. They, they only let five of us in. Um, so it was really, really highly competitive. And um, that moved me off to the East Coast. And I lived in the East Coast for a while. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I went to Skidmore College in New York. Mm -hmm. And I came over to study um, at the London School of Economics, which is actually where I met my husband. Mm -hmm. And I was also on the United States archery team. So it, it, it's been <laughs> <laughs> Four and a half decades. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> there was a, definitely a lot going on. Was it? Were you, did you have a plan? Were you trying to head in a particular direction, career-wise, or were you just kind of exploring things that you were interested in? Well, now, now that I know about my ADD brain, you know, you just you seek fun and you seek, you know, thrilling, exciting things. And I think, you know, going out for the Olympics was pretty thrilling and exciting, much more exciting than doing a real job. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, when I when I when I thought I had a chance of making the Olympic team, I just quit my job. You know, that's also another thing, the spontaneity, the impulsive impulsivity. Um, so in some ways, I'm glad I didn't know that I had what I, you know, ADD, because I did a lot of impulsive things like, you know, my husband, um, we hadn't seen each other or spoken to each other in seven years. And we were both at the Beijing Olympics. And uh, after hanging out with each other for 10 days, he proposed and I said, yes. And I flew back to America, sold everything I know, got onto a plane and moved back to Europe. And, um, you know, I mean, we've been married 14 years. We have two beautiful children. It's, it's, you know, it all worked out, but um, I, I think my plan was to take every opportunity that came my way. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think as I've gotten older, I've appreciated um, that one of my superpowers is I can I can bloom wherever I'm planted. And so, you know, wherever I go, I, I, I create a life that I love. And that's 
that's a wonderful gift to have that I'm, you know, that I'm always looking for creating a beautiful life and, and a wonderful life and meeting people and having impact. And so, yeah, so I, I think my plan was to live my pur- my life's purpose. And, mm-hmm. and I've been seeking that ever since. And I feel like I finally found it. Oh, awesome. I love that. And, and I love what you said about you can bloom wherever you're planted. That's like, that's a really amazing, as you said, gift to have, to be able to just settle in any environment and make the most of it. You know, so that is awesome. So you're doing all these different things because you're seeking joy, fun, you know, in your life. What was your, give me a quick, like, kind of snapshot of your career progression and how you ended up at the point of starting Tech Pixies. What happened before then? Well, it will be a quick snapshot (laughs) because I didn't have much of a career. Um, I graduated from university in 2002. My dad died very suddenly um, that year, right before I graduated. So I think the other thing, too, is with the tragedy I had in my life, you know, which was tragedy, you know, to have your biological mother ski into a tree at the age of four and be brain injured, to have your father lose his life at the age of 21. My age, I was 21. He was 64, 65. You know, the a woman's prefrontal cortex isn't established until she's 25 and things like that traumas like that, where you lose both parents, really um, biological parents before the age of 25, it's massive. And so I think for me, you know, I just didn't, I just, I think, you know, thank God I had my mom really. Cause she was, uh, she was there steady all the way through still is now today. And I'm really grateful for that. But I, you know, for me, I didn't have much of a career. I finished um, university. I graduated with honors with economics. My dad always wanted me to go and work at the Fed. I had absolutely no interest in doing that, um, which the federal, federal Reserve. He wanted me to work for Alan Greenspan. He loved Alan Greenspan. He used to send me articles all the time. I, I really didn't have a lot of interest in doing that. I also didn't have the mathematics that you needed to have to do that. Um, so I got a job uh, right out of college um, on a trading desk and I was watching stocks all day. And then I would tell my boss when they were going up and down and um, I was super bored. Uh, so when I was when I was not doing that, I was doing archery. And then I decided to quit my job and train for the Olympics full time. So I was at the Olympic Training Center in California, in Chula Vista. And I was fully supported athlete there. I was on the Home Depot program. So I was paid full-time by Home Depot. I worked part-time at Home Depot, which is like um, home base here. And then I was shooting the rest of the time. I worked part-time at a church. I ran the coffee and volunteers. We served coffee to 2,000 people every Sunday. Uh, And I also worked part-time at a uh, insurance company, um, booking calls for insurance brokers. Uh, so I, my career was, was pretty much floundering. Uh, and then I made a decision that I was going to become an insurance sales rep. Like I was going to sell life insurance. That's what I was going to do. I bought a car so I could travel around and sell life insurance. And my mom was my, shoot, my, my bonus mom and mom, whenever I say my mom, I'm talking about the one who raised me. She said to me, Oh joy, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't buy a car. You're going to regret it because you're going to go to China for the Olympics and you're not going to come back. I just can't tell you, you know, don't do that. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to not come back from China. And um, (laughs) at that point, I knew I was going to the Beijing Olympics. Uh, I was working there. I didn't make the Olympic team. Um, I had an injury and I I dropped off the radar, but I knew that I was, I knew I knew everybody there. So I applied to work at the Olympics. And so I got the job there uh, running the news service. And so lo and behold, I just bought this car. I get, get over to Beijing. I'm there for six weeks. And then I get engaged and my husband lived in Switzerland. So my fiance lived in Switzerland. So it was like I had to I had to totally uproot everything and sell the car. I ended up selling the car back to the dealer at a loss. It was just crazy. My mom was totally right. She usually always is. Moms are um, always 
is right. That was so yeah, That was. <laughs> yeah, they are. They really are. And, you know, and even uh, anyway, I'll, that's another story. But well, what I would say is then at that point, I find myself in Switzerland and um, I did somehow finagle six months contract in marketing at Deloitte. Um, and because we knew the head of uh, the the Olympic, uh, the Olympic Committee for the finances for London 2012, I met him at a party in Beijing. Um, and he liked me and put me forward for a job in De- Deloitte because I had done all of this entrepreneurial stuff, building a website, promoting myself as an athlete, that I was all, that I was an athlete on the US team and that I'd done that for four years. And Deloitte was really supportive of bringing athletes from the Olympics into their fold. Uh, and even though I hadn't made the Olympics, I'd been in a Polo Ralph Lauren ad and I'd been in a Budweiser ad and I was quite visible. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's the funny thing. A lot of people, they don't realize I didn't go to the Olympics because I was in the Polo Ralph Lauren Olympic ad mm-hmm. um, and I was in the, the the Budweiser Olympic ad. So I was, uh, so I sort of played the part and that created visibility for me. And that got me the job at Deloitte. And, and then when we got married, they were like, oh, you're married now. You don't need a job anymore, pretty much, is what happened. And um, in Switzerland, women don't usually work when when they have young children or when they're newly married because they're most most women in Switzerland who are newly married, and this might be quite broad assumption, but it's not totally far off. Um, most young women who get married in Switzerland are pregnant uh, because they don't get preg- they don't get married until they know they're having a baby, which is a very interesting economic decision. Um, wow. But so here I was newly married and I was in a recruiter's office and I was being recruited for a job in Zurich, a banking job. And they said, do you have any more questions? And I said, I just would really love to know the maternity leave policy. I've you know, just been married and I don't know what our plans are. And he walked me, he stood me up. He walked me out the back door to the fire escape. And it was like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't help you anymore. I couldn't even go out the front door of the office. Um, that was a very, very lonely walk down, you know, those clinky stairs where you're just like clink, clink, clink. And then I had to try get on the train home. And that's really about how I became an entrepreneur because no one wanted to hire me. So I had to hire myself. <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is quite a story. <laughs> okay. So what, what made you tell him about the maternity leave? Did you think that he was going to say, I don't know, what were you expecting from telling well, your partner up front, your future? I mean, <laughs> quite frankly, any company that wants to hire a woman has to have a maternity leave policy because at some point there's a very high likelihood that they're going to have a baby. I mean, they should, you know, now that we know, I mean, men have babies too. They just don't physically have them, you know? So mm-hmm. I think the the reason I asked the question was I just, I wanted to plan. I wanted to, you know, what, how long, you know, do I need to work there for a year before I qualified for, you know, like how long did I need to hold off having a baby, you know, or could I work part-time when I get like, but they didn't even tell me, they just walked me right out the door. They said, well, you, you can't do this. And I was like, okay, fine. But I did end up starting, uh, I recognized that there were women, tons of women, I mean, thousands of women like me. Switzerland is a place where a lot of people go to work as expats. And I recognized that there were 5,000 English speaking expats in Lucerne where we were living. And so with a friend of mine, we developed a blog uh, and a community and I started doing playgroups and Pilates and yoga and buggy fit and all this stuff. So I ended up basically building a company that solved need for women like me who were rejected from careers 
due to a, due to a societal norm that was outdated and, and archaic. So, you know, that's what I ended up doing. And I did that uh, for a good four or five years and then handed that off to somebody else. It's now been running for over 10 years. Um, they've got a community center. They've got a, a, a bilingual magazine. They've got um, a huge community of, of people in their membership. And it was a wonderful gift to give to them, but also a wonderful thing to work on. Well, I couldn't work on a job, yeah. um, but then I, I, and then that's how I ended up when I came back to the UK, I, um, there was a, a wonderful woman named Sherry Kutu, who's very, very, very well known in the tech space. And I met her at a party. Um, it was a, it was a first communion for a mutual friend's daughter. And I sat next to her and we had a great conversation and she said, Oh, I need help on my charity. Why don't you come and work for me? And so I took all the skills that I learned from building up my own community in Switzerland and helped her build her company until they had enough people they didn't need me anymore. And that's when I won a grant to launch my own business. And that was 2014. And that turned into Tech Pixies, but it wasn't Tech Pixies originally. It was a web development agency. Oh, interesting. So so how did it evolve then um, to Tech Pixies? Because what Tech Pixies does now is specifically around social media mainly, right? So how did you evolve that business? Yeah, so I was working with teenagers who fell in the NEAT category, the not in employment education or training. And I, um, I was helping them get their confidence, build WordPress websites. Um, and we were building WordPress websites for charities. And it was a great, great idea, but it wasn't scalable. Um, the teenagers needed a lot of support. I mean, just to give you one example, one of our amazing teenagers, uh, he, his dad was like in the mafia in another country and his mother was totally inappropriate. And, um, you know, to the extent like she would give him, um, uh, lollipops that looked like male parts. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it was a completely strange environment that he grew up in. Um, and he would come to work for me. He was very thin and I recognized he had no food at home. So, you know, I was, I was feeding him and providing moral support and mental support for him. Uh, he ended up going off to university. He's, he's turned out great. He's a great kid. Uh, he always was a great kid. He just had a really tough environment. That that sort of work, very labor intensive to take care of one kid and make sure that they kind of got you know got to the finish line, it wasn't scalable. Um, but what did start happening is the moms of the kids, uh, not this this kid in particular, but a different uh, a different young man I was working with who had schizophrenia and who was amazing. His mother sent me a you know a letter, a handwritten letter, and the moms just started saying to me, "Look, I want what you're doing. Well, you, whatever you're doing for my son, I want you to do for me." And um, so I, re I recognized that actually there were all of these women that were Oxbridge graduates and very, you know, or you know, had gone somewhere else, but they were graduates of university and they hadn't used their skills in, you know, some cases 20, 20 years or 10 years or two years. And to me, it felt like a big shame because not a shame on them, but a shame to the economy, a shame to the UK that these amazing women weren't using their amazing skills. And so I I just had an idea that I could turn that around. Um, it was inspired by a company that no longer exists. Um, there's a company called Digital Mums. And, uh, you know, I just want to shout out to them because they they really were the trailblazers in what I do. And I don't think, you know, they set the roadmap. So um, it was great that they were really supportive of me when I started out. Um, and, and really, that was, you know, that's what we're trying to do was trying to solve this problem 
of helping women return to work who'd had a career break. Uh, and now it's turned into returning to work, changing careers, starting a business. But the underlying result we really want women to have is financial independence so that they can get out of marriages that aren't serving them. Um, a lot of women are trapped in marriages um, that are really not very healthy or safe for them because they don't have financial independence. So, um, you know, that's one one of the reasons. Lots of other reasons. Mm. I heard you say um I don't know, in a podcast or somewhere that you said that you believe that digital courses are the way for women to become financially independent. Why do you have that view? Well, actually, it's really Amy Porterfield's view. And I'm a big fan and follower of Amy Porterfield. But also there's other amazing women. Daniel Leslie is another one. Um, uh, You know, there's there's many, many women who uh, have made fortunes as um, Rachel Rogers as well. Another one that I know you've read her book. I read her book. Um, these women are making their fortunes in online courses. And the reason for that is because they cross borders. Now we work only in the UK at the moment. We're, we're building a program that's world facing, worldwide facing right now. We've been doing, working on it for three years. It's finally going to be finished this month. Uh, I finally had to, I finally hired a coach to help me focus and get it done, but we're there now. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the, the first thing is you, you don't have to leave your house. Like I, I can, I can work from home and as a woman, that's a huge blessing. You know, if you have children, um, and you've got to be around, uh, if you've got animals, dogs, cats, you know, you got to be around, um, it's a huge blessing to be able to just do everything from home. And the, the fact that people are comfortable with zoom now and they're comfortable learning online now, uh, the pandemic changed everything for women from that perspective, um, good and bad. You know, women who were in low-skilled jobs really did, it didn't do very well. But when women, women who were in high-skilled jobs, they could just carry on doing what they're doing even more flexibly than before. So we do have to acknowledge that there's a big gap in those jobs. But um, it's a brilliant job for a woman who wants to work from home anywhere in the world um, or just wants to work anywhere in the world. I mean, I happen to want to work from home because that's where my family is and family is very high on my priority list. So um, that's the number one reason. But I mean, Amy Porterfield, she's very open about it. She's she's made eighty five million dollars selling online courses. Uh, Interestingly enough, the slash launch that she just did watching it was really interesting. She had to remind people that she wasn't always that successful. <laughs> like mm-hmm. people, people were starting to say, well, that's easy for you to say, cause you've made $85 million. And she sort of had to go back and pull out all the videos of her when she was, you know, when she had her first failed launch and when she was just getting started. And Daniel Leslie does the same thing. She has a picture of her, you know, when she was just getting started, she had a hundred dollars to her name. So I think it's a, it's, I think it's a business that you can grow, you know, really, really well. And you can do in the flexibility of your home. And, you know, it's a great business for employing other women. I mean, I have, I probably at this point have about nine contractors and three employees. And uh, uh, apart from one of them, they're all women. So I've been able to provide amazing opportunities uh, and jobs to to women um, as well all over the world that can work from their home. So are all over the UK who can work from their homes as well. Yeah. I, I like that you said that um, Amy... Porterfield and, and this other lady and, and just the, the whole idea of like reminding people that they haven't always been that successful so you did a podcast a solo episode on your Tech Pixies podcast where you just kind of went behind the scenes on how you built your Tech Pixies business and even more importantly than that the failures 
And I listened to that. I was like, this is brilliant. I was like, we need more of this raw and real conversation because it's so easy to look at someone like yourself and see what you've done with Tech Pixies, all the awards, everything that came with the name and be like, yep, Joy's got it all figured out. She was born to do this. She's doing a brilliant job and I'm just over here failing, (laughs) you know? So um, I want you to kind of like give us a, a quick summary of how you built Tech Pixies, um, you know, in terms of how you got it. I know you started off with funding, et cetera, how you built Tech, tech Pixies, and then take us to that place in, I believe it was 2021, where you got to this place where it's like, this business is going to die. I've, I've just killed my business, you know. Can you yeah, I really, it, it's probably almost two years ago today. I mean, it's like this time, it's October 2021. Um yeah, just briefly, I, I, I started Tech Pixies as a face-to-face business. Um, so that was the big difference we had between Digital Mums. They were fully online. We were fully face-to-face. And that's what, what our big USP was. Um, and we did that for a very long time, uh, for about 13 cohorts. We had cohorts in London and in Oxford. And then we decided to go online fully. And that wasn't that wasn't a, a choice. We offered people face-to-face or online and everyone picked online. Like one person picked face-to-face. So it was like, okay, the whole world's moving online. Um, at that point, when we moved online, I, I didn't know what I know now. I mean, there's so much available right now to launch an online course. None of that really existed when I started, or at least it wasn't very known in, in the UK. Um, in the US, it was probably more well-known, but here it wasn't. So when I started, I didn't, I built my own platform from scratch. It cost me 24,000 pounds. Um, I had to raise money to do all of that. I raised 190,000 pounds. And I pretty much spent it very, very fast because I had no idea what I was doing. I also didn't know I had ADD, which is common trait of ADD is to overspend and to underestimate and all that stuff. Um, so there's a lot I didn't know that, about myself, but also there's a lot I didn't know about the business. Um, with the very last amount of money that I met, I asked my investors at Christmas time to give me a little bit extra money because um, I'd spent it all. This is back in 2018. And they very generously said yes. And with the sort of the last amount of money I had in my bank account, I invested in Digital Course Academy, which is Amy Porterfield's course on how to build, uh, sell and, you know, how to build, sell and grow online courses. And, um, and that was a game changer. Uh, my first launch, I made all the money back times four, I think. Uh, and then I just kept launching and launching and launching. I think to date, we've launched uh, 38 times um, the social media training program. And just last year, I launched 29 times because we now have a social media program, a life coaching program and a business pro- uh, business coaching program. Um, at the end of the day, when everything fell apart two years ago uh, and there was no investment money left, no one would give me any money. In fact, the investors uh, were very frustrated with me that I hadn't figured it out and had lost all faith in me. So I had no, I had no investor backing whatsoever. Um, I had no, um, uh, I had no loans at that point. I mean, I, I couldn't get loans. The banks were saying, no, you can't have a loan. And we, we had won an award um, uh, from CEO, which is now called Corrales. And it was an interest, it, it was an interest-free loan. And that literally was the thing that saved the company financially because I was able to, to pay all the severance. I ended up having to let everybody go or people left. Um, we had about six people leave. Uh, this is back in like April of 2022. And so um, it was just a real rocky road. Uh, 
part of the issue was we were spending a lot of money on Facebook ads. And um, I had done all the Facebook ads up until the point that we were very successful. And then I decided, okay, we're successful. I'm going to hire somebody else to do that so I can do what I want to do. And that was just a series of very, very, very expensive people that did a really good job, but it wasn't good enough. And um, and you know, also at the same time, iOS and Facebook were arguing with each other, and they were changing on each other. And you know, in one week in October of 2021, I lost all the cash in the business because our Facebook ads failed, and I put something like 60, uh, 30,000 into Facebook ads, and uh, we we lost it all. Like it was all the cash we had; it was gone. Um, and so, and the reason I say it was 50,000 that we lost, because whenever we talk about the story, I say we lost 50,000. I had to pay, like, I still had to pay all the operational costs plus the 30,000 ads expenditure, and we didn't make any money. So it was just like a, everything just tumbled. Um, I was really fortunate because the weekend that it, or like the week it all fell apart, I had been doing some brain mindset training for about six months, and I was invited to an event, and it was on, it was, a three-day event. And at that event, I, I started to believe it was possible that I could turn it around. I just had to believe that it was possible that I could turn it around. And that set me off on a journey of, of life coaching, getting life coaching for myself, and then introducing a life coaching program to our, to, our, to our audience. And so instead of trying to get more people in, I just had a second product to offer people. And that was wonderful because for a very long time, I only had one thing to offer people. And then when they were finished, it was like, okay, see you later. Whereas now with life coaching, I could do more with them for longer. And then we introduced the business coaching. And so everything started to just turn around uh, with, with coaching, support, uh, investment in myself and my brain. Um, and, and then now it's really going well. Now it feels really good, but it, <laughs> it was the messy middle for a while, for sure. But I, but at the end of the day, I still think courses saved the business because, you know, I, I can, I can sell, I can sell a course today if I, I want to, I can sell a course tomorrow if I want to, I can sell a course next week if I want to, um, mm -hmm. what I, and you talk about this, what matters to me is impact. Um, so it's not about how many course sales and a number that I make. It's how many lives we've impacted. And, you know, one of my big goals is to have a thousand women in our social media training program. We're at 891, uh, you know, and mm -hmm. I have met all of them and know all of them by name over the years. Um, and that's important to me. We have 115 women in our life coaching program. Uh, and that's really important to me. And so there's a lot of things that um, that we've done right. And we have 30 women in our business program total. So I'm really proud of all of that. Mm. I think one of, one of the, and I think it's, it's remarkable. What, one of the things that I love that you said um, at the time when this was happening um, from listening to you share that story on that podcast, you said, so there was a point where you stopped paying yourself. You completely stopped um, your salary. I think it was for a year. And then you went to go and get a job, not just one job. You got three jobs in this time. Now, there's a there's often sometimes a stigma, you know, when you're in business. And, and I know I felt this in the past, you know, when the first time I left the world of work to do my own business, I was like, I'm never working for anyone again. I'm an entrepreneur. I make my own money. And then I went back to work eight months later with my head down, kind of feeling really defeated. So here you are, you've built your business to, I think it was almost a million at that point, And then it's all gone down the hill and you had to go and get a job. How did you feel making that move? Yeah, I had just crossed over the million mark and, um, and, and then I, and then everything fell apart, you know? So I hear on the one hand, I was, I felt like a big success. 
but it cost me 1.3 million to make 1 million. And that that's where the, the problem lie uh, laid because um, I had a 3 million, 300,000 pound gap between, you know, what it actually cost me to make what I made. Um, but it was very, it was, what was really challenging was I did have to take myself off. So once I'd let people go and people had quit, um, people, I mean, people, people knew people on the team knew what was going on. So people who were worried about their jobs, they went and found better jobs and people who, um, didn't, did, you know, were help, were trying to hold on and help. They stayed until I had to, to let them go and could give them a severance package. But that, that once that happened, that was like April uh, in July. That was when I, I really knew there, the only, the next thing I can do is cut my salary. At that point, I'd cut absolutely everything else that I could cut. Um, I, and the only thing I could do was cut my salary and it was either my salary or, or my staff. I had three people who worked for me. Um, and one worked 10 hours a week, one worked 20 hours a week and one worked, um, four days a week. And so, you know, I would, I would have to let go of all of them or I'd have to let go of myself. There was no way I could do their job and my job. So I decided to keep them employed and I took a cut in my salary. And then I went and I got a job at my daughter's school, um, first as a rowing coach, but then, uh, secondly, I took another job on a couple months later as, as a receptionist at the school. And, um, you know, I was doing a job that was, I mean, it was, it was, I was very grateful to them for giving me the job. So don't get me, you know, don't get me wrong on this, but it was also, it paid the, you know, just above the living wage. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I like to say the person that comes to our house every week that, that helps to clean out, you know, clean our home. I pay her a lot more than I was getting to double what I was getting paid there. And so it was, you know, so part of it was a little bit demoralizing because here, here I am, um, unemployable again. Um, I did try and get jobs, uh, high level jobs, but every place I looked at that was, uh, in terms of a technology job or something that could use my skill set, they wanted full time. They didn't want part time. They didn't want to support me building, you know, rebuilding my business. So what, what I loved about the school is that, um, they were really willing to give me a job and I was very, very grateful for that job. So even though it didn't pay well, it was, it was, was exactly what I needed at the time. And, um, and they were very flexible. They knew I was rebuilding my business. They knew that when my business was, was in a good place again, that I would put in a resignation. The interesting thing was I had a contract for a year and really quickly on, I knew it wasn't a good energetic fit for me. Just the, it's, it was a very admin role. And actually one of the things that ADD people hate is admin. And <laughs> so I really struggled in the role just on a personal level. It was like, this is, this is, this is not working for my brain. Um, and so one of the things that I knew early on, that was the case. So I, when I sort of got to a place where I thought, okay, things are turning around. I feel confident things are going the right direction. So I wrote them a letter and I gave them 10 weeks notice. Usually you only give someone like four weeks notice. I gave them 10 weeks notice. I said at the end of May, I know it's a little bit earlier than I said, cause I was supposed to be there till July, but my business is turning around and I, I really like to focus on that. And the cool thing is they did find someone. She started 10 weeks later. Um, but what I couldn't have predicted was when I, uh, did finally stop that job uh, just before that job ended. I got um, I got offered a coaching job uh, inside of a coaching company that I had been certified with, and um, for an hour and a half a week, they paid more than what I was getting paid um, for 19 hours a week. So wow. I I not only even though I wasn't paying myself a salary yet, I I, I replaced all my income and and got back uh, about 17 hours of my time, which was 17 and a half hours of my time week which was incredible and had a real, real shift on the energy and the household and everything else. Um, so that was really good. I think the other thing about the job, it wasn't, it wasn't just the admin. I mean, everyone in my house got sick. You know, I think, I think when, 
when the balance is out of the house, then things start happening. We'd had a puppy and, you know, and everyone was stressed. And I just think it caused a lot of stress, me not being in the home. So it was, it was, it was good for me to come back home and be able to work from home, but it was a journey for sure. Uh, But I started taking my salary again, two months ago. So it's October. So I, I took my first one in August and my second one in September. And I'll get my third one this month. So that's very exciting <laughs> to be on payroll. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, and, and your business is now in a place where it's no longer funding, supported. It's all income that you generate through actual sales. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. And I think I'm the most proud of that because the last amount of income that we received externally was May of 2021 or 2022. And that was to pay off the, um, to, to, to pay the severances and other things and um, just sort of get me to a starting new starting point. Um, and then since November of, since September of last year, 2022, uh, we have had 12 profitable months. So, you know, we've had a few months up and down, but the last five, four, five, six months have been profit month on month. And so, you know, to me, it was, um, and it was a coach. I mean, I want to acknowledge one person because, well, there were a lot of people that, there's two people that, that particularly believed in me. There was an investor who didn't, who didn't give up on me. And I wouldn't say the investors gave up on me. I just got, I got frustrated showing up to the board meetings or the advisor meetings and having to explain myself every time. And I just got to a place where I thought, um, I, this isn't working for me. I'm, I'm, I'm always defending myself and I need a new strategy. And so I, I said to the board, I said, I'm, I'm, I think we should sort of part ways and I'll keep you up to date, but I need to go my own path. One board member who said, I want to keep helping. Well, two of them said, I want to keep helping you. And one who was very hands-on in helping me, which was wonderful. Um, Cause I think I, every time I was panicking or worried, I would, I would reach out to her and she would help me stay focused. And even if I, a couple of times, like I was, I was short on payroll, she'd send me money and then I'd pay her right back like a week later. So it was nice to have an ally that sort of wanted to see things through. She was the last investor who came in. So she probably hadn't had as much stress as the other investors. Um, but the other person was a coach. Um, and part of the reason I gave up my salary was to work with a coach that um, had, was known for turning businesses around. And, uh, and I, at one point he said to me when I was going to go raise money again, he said, Joy, you got to fix the problem that's in this business. And once you fix the problem that's in this business, you may not even need to raise money, but you got to fix the problem first. And, and he said, the problem is you're, you know, you're spending too much. You're not making enough. You fix that and you can do whatever you want. And uh, it, I really trusted him. Uh, he said, you can do this without funding. You can do this. And I did not believe in myself, but I believed in his belief in me. And uh, that's really when I took a chance and said, okay, I'm not going to do any funding. We'll just see what happens because I trusted him. And, you know, that's a big part of the story as well, that I, that I, I, I've sort of got my superpower within myself to believe that I could do it without funding, without investment, without loans, without credit cards, um, mm. all of that stuff. And that's been really, that's been a, that's been very liberating. Mm. Wonderful. I love that. I love that. And I love the, the realness of the story. The highs and lows of entrepreneurship is not, the lows are not talked about, I don't think, halfway near as often as um, the highs, you know. So I, I absolutely love that story and how you 
now overcome, you know, in, in this part of the journey. But um, okay, so just shifting gears a little bit as we as we come towards the end, I want to talk about visibility because obviously this show is called Start Me Invisible. Now you have a podcast, um, the Tech Pixies podcast, but more than a podcast, it's also a LinkedIn live show. And you have broadcasted, you have been visible on LinkedIn every single week with an episode for four years. Now, that's amazing. How have you managed to do that? Well, again, that goes back to Amy Porterfield. When I started training with Amy, uh, I so I bought Amy's course in January of 2019. And one of her first lessons was you need to show up live on social media every week week for um for the rest of your life <laughs> like rain or shine uh and she said put it on your calendar make it a, make it a date with yourself and you know and I thought well I can do once a week you know I can, I'm not like you I can't do every day but I can do once a week and so I um so I did I just put Tuesday mornings um at, t- at nine o'clock or ten o'clock I think it, we started on Tuesdays at ten I can't remember when we started but it was once a week at the same time same time, same place. And uh, I broadcast on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter. Well, now X. Uh, and then, you know, we post a little snippet of it on Instagram. But um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I sort of looked at Amy and I thought, she's figured it out. She's telling me what to do. I'm just going to listen and do what she says. And I think that's, you know, and I'm not always like that. I mean, there's a lot of people who give me advice that I completely ignore, um, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, that's, that's also part of who I am is who I'm going to choose to listen to. But, you know, she was pretty, she said, if you do live video, you can then retarget your video audience. And then you, that's really great for your ads. And so just show up every week live and, you know, that'll be great. And interestingly enough, when I interviewed her on my podcast, we did a live video. But when she interviewed me on her podcast, she wasn't yet doing live video for her podcast. So that was an interesting experience because I was doing live video podcasts um, for four years and she didn't even start doing that until probably the last year, 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 a year and a bit. So, uh, you know, I know I, I know I didn't I'm not the trendsetter there, but I, I did take her advice very seriously. And um I think it's very important for women to be visible for all the same reasons you think it is. Um, but, you know, if you have visibility, uh, you, you you find your voice. I think people think I don't have I don't know what to say. So I can't I can't go live. I can't do I can't become visible because I don't know what to say. And I think the irony is you figure out what to say because you've got a camera on and running and you have to say something. <laughs> but my mm. first video in February of 2019 was terrible and you can go back and watch it. But you know, it's you it's a, it's something you learn how to do over time. You get better at it. Quality comes from quantity a little bit, I think, on this one. Yeah, and you can't be consistency, you know, just committing to something and sticking to it is a, actually a really big deal that a lot of people don't do, unfortunately. And then they don't succeed because they just haven't been consistent long enough to see something produce fruit. So what has kept you going? So I know Amy said this to you and you kind of took it on board, but there must have been times where you kind of woke up and thought, you know what, this is not a live video day. I don't feel it. I'm just not on this. But yet you did it anyway. What? How did you overcome those days when you didn't feel like it? Well, I love the podcast. I mean, I get to interview women in my community who've had massive success. And I get to interview inspirational women like you who've overcome real challenges. So actually, my favorite part of the week is the podcast. Um, I absolutely love it. I I, I think. But you're right. It wasn't always like that. Um, I will say the when we were at about 65,000 downloads, and we must have been going about two years 
because I, I, I maybe, yeah, about two years or so, we were at about 65,000. And I was like, this is like, I was trying to get to 100,000 downloads. And I, it was just taken forever. And I remember thinking like, I'm just going to quit. You know, it's not worth, it's not working. It's not worth it. And, um, and then I, I, I just kept showing up because <clears throat> we'd scheduled guests. And then I, I logged back in into the stats. And then suddenly we'd hit 75,000 downloads. And I was like, oh, well, if we can do 75,000 downloads, we can get to 100,000. And that literally was the switch for me was, okay, you know, we, we'd, we'd cross the 75,000 download mark and getting to 100,000 became the next goal. And I think um, I'm a very goal-oriented person. And I think that's been very helpful for me because that's kept my brain focused. Um, so it's good to have a focus for me. But, you know, I mean, incredible stories. Um, I mean, I just... I, like just incredible stories. I mean, I, I, the people on the podcast, they're all, they're all the women in our community and the challenges they've overcome and, and the lives they've built as a, as a result of, of investing in themselves and doing a program with Tech Pixies. I mean, I'm super grateful to even get the opportunity to interview them because their lives have changed. It's not just their lives. It's their children's lives, their partner's lives. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an army of lives that change. It's not just one person. So uh, for me, the podcast is my favorite thing to do. And um, yes, I almost quit it, but I'm really glad I didn't. And it's now become a really, really, really useful tool uh, as, as uh, shining a light as to what's possible for women um, who have all sorts of challenges that they've overcome. Mm -hmm. And you have recently crossed that 100,000 download figure. So congratulations. <laughs> that is absolutely yeah, right after your podcast. It was your podcast. And then we inter I interviewed Suzanne Haywood from uh, she wrote a bestselling book called Wave Walker. So mm -hmm. it was your podcast and her podcast that pushed it over the 100,000 mark. Yay! <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm just getting started on mine. I look forward to reporting to you when I reach the 100,000, right? <laughs> Probably faster than I did, but I'm going to be cheering you all the way. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. Joy, it has been an incredible, incredible pleasure um, having this conversation with you. And definitely, there's so much you're so interested, there's so much more I could ask you about your life. But we are going to round it up here. And before you go, I want you to let people know what you're working on next and what's the best way for us to reach out, connect with you and plug into the awesome work that you're doing on Text Pixies and beyond. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Well, we have three programs. We have our social media pro program, our life coaching program and our business coaching program. Uh, and we are working on a self-study social media program. And I'm very excited about that. And that'll be opening up to the rest of the world. We've only ever done anything in the UK. So this is the first time we're opening our program out to the rest of the world in a self-study way so that it's not so coaching labor intensive. I'm very excited about that. Um, and you can find us at techpixies.com and on all the social media networks where where the handle is techpixies. So at techpixies, pretty much everywhere you go. Awesome, awesome, brilliant. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And that brings us to a close on this episode of Start Being Visible. Please remember, if you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe so you don't miss out on our weekly episodes. And of course, leave a review and rate it so we can continue to reach more women on this journey to be invisible. Thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Start Be Invisible podcast with me, Mildred Talavi. If you're a female leader or a woman in business and you're ready to start your own journey to be invisible on LinkedIn and beyond, get in touch with me via LinkedIn or reach out to me through my website at startbeinvisible.com. 
Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your way out and I'll see you next week for another five episodes.